we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Hello, and welcome to Animal Voices Radio Show. We are Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM, Co-op Radio, CFRO, on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Turtle Island. Today is Friday, February 19th. 2021, and I will be your host today, Grace Wampold. I'll be joined by my feature interview guest, Leslie Fox. Leslie Fox is the executive director for the Fur Bearers and is passionate about all wildlife. Leslie is a certified humane education specialist through the National Association for Humane and Environmental Education and graduated with honors from the British Columbia Institute of Technology in public relations, marketing communications, and nonprofit management. I know Leslie through my work at UBC with compassionate conservation classes that I've taken with Kristen Walker. Leslie Fox will be a mentor to some of my peers this year and is running surveys on how the public perceives coyotes in our city. In this class, I'm going to be working on research about bird collisions with buildings that have a lot of glass. So stay tuned in the upcoming months on an episode about that. But this week, we're going to focus on coyotes, which is quite pressing in Vancouver. Only a few weeks ago, I gave out the news update that two coyotes were put down after a few nipping incidents in Stanley Park. So I decided to talk with an expert about why do we feel the need to feed wildlife or to manage who gets to live in human-dominated spaces. Leslie shares with me not only her opinions about the conservation that is being done in British Columbia or, I guess, the lack of conservation or, I guess, why conservation is not exactly the best word to be using, and she also talks to me about how we as individuals can empower ourselves to make positive and actual change, why posting on social media or even signing change.org petitions isn't really enough. I also have an interview lined up with Miranda Dessa. Last Transfer Animals has joined a lawsuit led by Friends of Animals to stop the transfer of five beluga whales from marine land in Niagara Falls, Ontario to Mystic Aquariums in Mystic, Connecticut. So there are different protections for cetaceans in Canada than there are in the United States. And when these animals are transferred to the States, their protections under a bill called S-203 will be taken away. And these belugas will be subject to breeding and experimentation and exploitation once there is an expiration of this permit. So I will sit down and talk with Miranda Dessa about what Last Chance for Animals is doing, why this matters, and what the long-term effects are for belugas when they are taken away from their friends and have research done on them. So stay tuned for that as well. I definitely feel empowered after that interview, and I'm really excited for you guys to come along with me and learn a bit about the history of conservation in British Columbia and how we as individuals have the power to impact public policy around wildlife care. Stay tuned. We've officially made it through half of February. We're approaching springtime. Valentine's Day has passed and it's time to plant your annual flowers and fruits and vegetables that bear crops above ground, such as your corn, tomatoes, your watermelons, and your zucchinis. Right now, the moon is currently waxing, and today is the first quarter moon of the month, which means that you still have time, if you like to plant based on the moon cycles, 
to get a lot of your annual flowers planted. While this show does cover animal advocacy, as someone who wants to be compassionate to all beings, I think it's important to discuss best gardening practices and how we can support our local ecosystems when we do decide to plant. Because of how the moon impacts water flow, it's really important to consider what cycle the moon is in when you plant your gardens. That means we have one more week until the full moon and then it'll start to wane back and you can plant your below ground vegetables such as potatoes, onions, turnips, and other tubers. Just wanted to share that little tidbit for anyone who might be interested in gardening this year. I know 2020 showed a huge increase in people interested in gardening for the first time, so hopefully we can keep up that momentum in 2021 and see some abundant gardens, some gorgeous flowers, and happy pollinators all around our city. Just a few weeks ago, I interviewed Kimberly Carroll with the Animal Justice Academy, and we are approaching the end of the fourth week of the Animal Justice Academy today. So if you missed the latest live panel on collaborating with the Indigenous Rights Movement on animal protection with Mandy Howard, Nahani Fontaine, and Faisal Moolah, who's an Associate Professor of Geography at the University of Guelph, you can still find that recording online if you register today. And if you register, you'll get access to the past week's content, a Facebook group with a great community, and the next live panel on starting a vegan business, which will be on Tuesday, February 23rd from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time or 10 p.m. for us here in Vancouver on the Pacific Seaboard. So that's nice. You can cozy up with tea or wine and some popcorn and maybe kickstart your passion project and learn about how to start a vegan business. That will be run by Stephanie Redcross, who is the founder of Vegan Mainstream, Roger Yang, who's a vegan restaurateur, and Tina Stokes, who's founder of Vegan Stokes Cheese. So check out our web post where we'll have links to the Animal Justice Academy register. And it's okay, even though we're in week four, you can always catch up and check out the Facebook group to engage with a community of like-minded folks. In other news, Alley Cat Rescue, or the ACR, announces the 2021 Global Feral Fix Challenge. Alley Cat Rescue is calling on the veterinary community to provide free or low-cost spay and neuter surgery for at least one free-roaming cat each week. Approximately one in every three cats that goes into a shelter won't make it out alive. When kitten season reaches its peak during the summer months, shelters quickly become overwhelmed by the high number of kittens pouring in, 80% of whom were found outdoors, born from unsterilized, free-roaming cats. This is the primary reason why 2,500 cats are euthanized each day in our country's shelters. That's why Alley Cat Rescue is calling on veterinarians to help them fix the kitten invasion by pledging to spay or neuter at least two community cats each week during the spring. Vets are encouraged to work with and in collaboration with local animal rescuers and trap neuter return programs to identify and assist cats in need of sterilization. With COVID shutdowns, more and more cats are going unhoused. So it's more important now that we take these steps to reduce animal suffering in our communities. If you are a veterinarian and want to participate, go to our website, animalvoices.org, where you can find the links to the challenge page in this week's web post. Young workers face many challenges today. Unaffordable housing, underpaid and precarious work, and a rapidly changing labor environment. New and young workers are also more likely to be injured on the job. One of the best protections you have as a worker is solidarity. In other words, a strong union. Throughout history, unions have fought for the right to collective bargaining, better wages, benefits and working conditions, protection from abuse by employers, and ending harassment and discrimination at work. For more information on how to join a union, visit 
bcfed.ca forward slash join. And now for our feature interview with Leslie Fox, the director of the Fur Bearers. Enjoy. I guess to start off, thank you, Leslie, for coming. And as far as Vancouver is concerned, what is the major issue when we talk about conservation and welfare and compassion towards wildlife for you? I think there's a lot of different issues as it relates to wildlife and compassion and conservation and all those different things. I think one is having truthful, real information that's supported in science and um we're using and you're taking an evidence-based approach. I think that there's opportunities for government and politicians to better engage with the public in terms of what the public wants as it relates to conservation and, um, you know, protecting wildlife. And I think just having really clear goals of how we navigate the climate crisis and the increasing number of endangered species and threatened populations and individuals and um, all kinds of things. What is the concern for the coyote populations in British Columbia as it relates to their habitat and safety? So coyotes are a natural, normal part of the Canadian landscape, and they're here to stay. And so I think we need to first recognize I hate using the word conflicts, but what, whatever challenges we have, uh, you know, with with wildlife, that again they're here to stay, and we can't kill our way out of out of these challenges. And so recently in Stanley Park, there's been a few reports of people uh, being nipped by coyotes. Uh, coyotes can be found common, uh, commonly found in Vancouver. There's estimates of you know thousands of coyotes that uh, live in our urban area. So again, their presence is quite normal. And Stanley Park is obviously a great place for them to be. It's it's ideal habitat. Uh, There's quite a lot of food sources in Stanley Park. So, you know, voles and squirrels, rabbits, mice, rats. uh, These are all natural food sources for coyotes as well as berries or So one of the big problems in Stanley Park as it relates to coyotes is feeding, wildlife feeding specifically. And so coyotes, like many wild animals, they can look kind of scrappy um, and they're always desperate for food. They're extremely food motivated. And so I think coyotes and other wild animals can send a message to the public, you know, that they're starving and they require this type of intervention. And a lot of really good hearted people um, enjoy feeding wildlife. They feel as though they're they're helping, they're you know providing some relief. That there's just something, there's a real humanity, you know, when we exchange food and and this this idea of food suggests sort of care. And so, um, intentionally or non-intentionally, I think when we feed animals, particularly wild animals, it can have negative impacts on their behavior. Again, as we're seeing in Stanley Park quite a bit of reported feeding that's that's happening again with coyotes and coyotes they're seeing humans now and associating humans with a handout and and as a result puts them in danger they'll be they'll be killed yeah i mean we're encroaching on their land and providing them with human food sources is certainly not a solution to the problem we've created So then what do you do? What do you do when you see a coyote? How should our listeners respond? With coyotes in particular, I think the first thing is to understand that they're a natural, normal part of our landscape. They're here to stay. They don't require our intervention or seldom do wildlife require our intervention. In Stanley Park, Stanley Park is full of natural food sources for coyotes. So they're quite at home there. They're quite capable of accessing food. We live in an urban area where there's just a lot of food available for these for these animals. So they don't they don't need our help. We see wildlife. The main thing is you always want to keep your distance, and people want to have those close experiences. They want to get up close. They want to take photos. They want to take selfies. Want to take videos. They want to have this connection. And again, it's a one way street. Wildlife don't want the connection with us, and so. There's a little bit of onus, I think, on us to read the room a little bit and recognize that wild animals don't 
want their photo taken. They don't want us to get close. So giving them lots of space, giving them lots of exits is really important. You never want to trap, trap them. Coyotes are a really interesting species and they have all their own individual personalities. But as a general rule, coyotes tend to be, they're very curious, um, but they're also quite shy. And so they scare easily. And so if a coyote is getting a little too close, that individual uh, may have crossed a, you know, a couple boundaries with you. You just simply assert yourself. And there's no reason to scream or, or yell, but just in a, in a really assertive tone, like you would be reprimanding a child or even your dog, you just assert yourself and say, no, get back, go away. And then you can escalate that from there. So some people uh, suggest you can make a loud noise, clapping your hands, making yourself look bigger. Just sort of assert yourself and send a message that they're not welcome and they need to back off. And, and typically they respect that. It's just a lot of common sense and decency, I think, that can easily be applied to these situations. But as a, as a general rule, again, wildlife don't really want to hang out with us and they don't, they don't need us. Yeah, and the stress that they go under getting to a rehab center doesn't always outweigh the outcomes of them dealing with it as they would in the wild. And that's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. There's an injured coyote on UBC campus, and we've all witnessed this individual for years thriving in that area. And it's hard to see some someone you know injured like that, but there really isn't much that we can do. It's hard. And, and you brought up a really good point about the stress of rehab, the stress of confinement, transportation, sedation. Yeah, there's there's so many pros and cons. And so as it relates to wildlife, an animal who is injured or diseased or who clearly requires intervention, there is a lot of ethics involved here because because the capture, confinement, transportation, like all of those things, imposing that on a wild animal. I mean, animals die just from stress and shock alone, wildlife. Again, you, you really have to think hard about cost benefit uh, to those individuals. And, and that's a really tricky thing to do. And it really in involves a lot of professionals, I think, who have the experience and ability to better kind of assess those situations. And they'll all be on an individual basis. I really appreciate your acknowledgement of individual animals. And with that, I was wondering if you think that there's a missing piece to the general public's education on wildlife, on their perspective of coyotes, and what you think might need to be changed as it relates to public education and outreach. I think the short answer is, is quote, wildlife management needs to be completely overhauled. And so even the term wildlife management um, is really awkward and that it suggests wildlife need to be managed. Um, and there's probably a lot of arguments that, well, we haven't really done it that well, have we, seeing as the populations of, of species are, are plummeting. It, I think it's fair to say without a lot of research that wildlife management isn't working. And if it is working, Perhaps it's only working for those who have a financial interest uh, in preserving specific populations or species. Typically, the stakeholders are the users, users defined by hunters, trappers, anglers, people who, again, have a financial benefit in the preservation of wildlife. It makes for interesting discussions and policy when you have such a vocal minority, a user group so insistent on legislation that promotes killing, quite quite frankly. And so I think I would challenge some of those assumptions and that I think as part of user, you could include non-users and in that there's all kinds of people who value wildlife and other stakeholders. So they could include ecotourism, bear guides, photographers, artists, recreationalists, camp, campers, hikers, uh, people who enjoy being outside and, and they enjoy viewing wildlife in a safe way. They should also have a stake in how wildlife is so-called managed, right? But unfortunately, they don't really get a seat at the table. But also education is a big part of that. So even the terminology, wildlife management, wildlife conflict, it really conjures up this sort of idea that wildlife is a problem, right? That we have to deal with it, that they overpopulate, that they are going to take over. Uh, media is, is always really tricky as it relates, especially to the predators. Uh, even the word predator suggests, you know, there's an uncomfortable feeling about that. Animals like wolves, bears, coyotes, you know, there's folklore about these animals. They're going to hurt you. They're going to kill you. 
as researchers, academics, and true conservationists, you know, when you, when you talk to people who've spent their career around wolves or around bears or even grizzly bears, you start to recognize them as individuals and each individual has their own personality and that even with the predators, they're not always crazy creatures from hell that are going to come, come and kill you. That That's not who they are, who they are at all. Yet yeah. There's such a disconnect we have and from the natural world. We don't know. We don't understand. We don't appreciate. We don't respect. We're just not connected. It really requires a different approach. And certainly I think there's an opportunity for humane education, starting young in the schools and educating young people about wild animals and various conservation initiatives that are really meaningful and go far beyond recycling or cutting up six pack rings, but that are actually a lot more focused on the intrinsic value of, of these animals and not necessarily the, you know, the commodification, which is sort of what we're used to. I think number two that needs to happen is enforcement. While the law isn't there as it relates to animal protection, there are some laws on the books, though, some basic stuff that can be enforced. It's just not. And so we know under the Wildlife Act, for example, in BC, that it's illegal to feed wildlife, specifically attract dangerous wildlife as defined, you know, coyotes, wolves, bears. And yet we see that there's very little that happens in terms of fines. We just don't live in a culture where fines are handed out all the time for wildlife feeding, yet we're killing, you know, over 500 black bears a year because of garbage and because of attractants and because people leave garbage out. I think there's an opportunity for bylaw for the BC Conservation Officer Service uh, for animal control to be a little bit more active in how we're policing some of our existing legislation and what we can do to support the message of education. I think education alone, frankly, doesn't work. You need to have an enforcement mechanism to support it. And so both those things need to be in play. And then, of course, at the root of all of it, you have this horrible language that we use uh, that probably should be updated to be more reflective of current, I think, scientific knowledge and practices. And that's a really important point. When you don't enforce these kinds of laws and give people those fines, they're not being checked on their ego. They're not having to face the fact that what they're doing might feel right, but isn't right in the grand scheme of conservation and the lives of these individuals. And it's really hard because these animals don't speak the same language as us and they don't communicate in a way that suggests to us that we're doing something wrong. You know, the coyotes will approach us. The bears will approach us. So we think we're doing something good. You know, and I, I hear that a lot with animal advocates always talk about that. But I, I think I would argue though animals do speak all the time and that they are really good actually at communicating. It requires though, I think a higher level of understanding. Animals are really good at letting us know what they need, what they want. And they do that through their body language. They do that through their eyes, vocalizations. So I think I think they send really strong messages. It, it's just that those messages are ignored or misinterpreted. It's just unfortunate, though, they can't be at a board table <laughs> communicating on policy and law reform because that's really where we need them. So how can people get involved to actually want to advocate for wildlife and not necessarily the use or exploitation of wildlife? I think a lot of things. I think that as animal advocates, there's such a focus on food animals. And I think it's a numbers game, right? Just because the numbers of animals killed for food is in their billions. And so it really evokes a certain sympathy. However, there's a lot of groups that are already working on it. With wildlife, you don't really see a lot of animal advocates working to protect wildlife, which is really odd. And we sort of leave that up to these environmental groups. But unfortunately, some of the biggest environmental groups in Canada support hunting, trapping, and fishing. And so advocacy for wildlife falls through the crack. And there are big connections to helping to protect wildlife by switching to a vegan diet. To help wildlife directly and right, right now, I don't know that there are a lot of people that are really working on wildlife issues or have a really strong understanding of conservation, uh, the legislation, Wildlife Act, BC Conservation Officer Service, Fish and Game. I think we, we kind of just skip over that. And the urgency and the need is really there. We're, we're running out of time and there's not a lot of wildlife left. And so 
once they're gone, they're gone and they can't come back. I worry that it'll be too late. And it sounds kind of cliche uh, to say that, but the statistics are really horrible. And the climate crisis in particular is completely changing the landscape. Some species aren't adapting very well and they're disappearing. And so rather than just leaving it to the usual suspects, is there an opportunity for animal advocates to get more involved in protecting wildlife? Absolutely. And the easiest way to do that, I mean, one, is I think you it's important to understand the legislation. There's some really great science. There's some great programs. Uh, UBC has a really great program uh, for compassionate conservation, which is a whole field of study that I really encourage people to learn about. And also uh, political engagement. When we're talking to our political officials, which is so important, and it's, it's nonpartisan. Every single political party needs to hear from us. At the provincial level, you would have your municipality, so your city councillor, and there's a lot of cool stuff that municipalities can do with bylaws to help protect wildlife and other animals. At the provincial level, you have your elected officials, usually known as your MLA in BC, that's your member of legislative assembly, or in Ontario, it's your MPP. And then of course, at the federal level, you have your MP, which is your member of parliament, and that deals with federal issues. Most animal issues though, and especially wildlife are provincial. So your best point of contact is gonna be your provincial elected official. So again, in BC, that's your MLA. It's so easy. It just requires someone to really care and take the time, but you can literally just go online, Google, find my MLA BC. You'll get a link, you put in your postal code and it'll tell you who that person is. And just to make it very clear, that person works for you. That's your elected official. Their job is to represent your interests in parliament. And so how cool is that? So all your angst and everything you hate about the world and that bothers you, that's the person. <laughs> this is the individual who you need to direct those conversations to. I mean, social media is so tempting. You know, we all spend a lot of time complaining on Facebook or on Twitter what our problems are. But really, if that was directed to the person who can actually do something about it, I think it would be a better use of our time. Um, so really letting them know that, you know, you are a voter in their riding and that animals are a priority for you and that you can ask them straight up. A, a great question is what are you doing to protect animals in BC or in, in your province and, and get them engaged. And you can ask for a Zoom meeting Again, the message I think I would start with is animals are a priority for me. You know, I'm a, I'm a voter, I live here, I care about animals and they're a priority for me and I'm really angry. So imagine if we all did that. It's about meaningful connections and meaningful relationships. And imagine if you had a relationship with your politician. We live in this tech, tech world where everybody is sort of lazy. They click on the petition and that's it. And then they feel good about themselves. But I'll tell you, like as someone who spent my career in animal advocacy, very few petitions have any real meaningful impact. You'd be better off sending a personal email to your elected official. You really would. And all that is tracked. And um, while it might not feel like it, it, it does have impact. And it, and it really, again, is about making it personal and making it meaningful. And it, it might take an extra minute or two, but you should have an understanding of who your elected representatives are and specifically because they're the decision makers. They have the capacity to influence law and policy. And that's one of the biggest barriers to protecting animals is we have these archaic laws and, and I've seen what it can do. And that's why I think I'm really passionate about it. I've seen how you can start off with a, just a very simple email and how it can actually turn into a larger campaign and how a decision maker can take that and table a bill or present a ban. Like I've, I've watched it. I've watched it happen in city councils and I've watched it happen um, in, at the province and the federal level. That's what it takes uh, to do. Those, those changes didn't come because someone signed a petition. We've reached the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with this interview in just a few moments. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100% listener-sponsored radio broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. 
I love that too, how you mentioned going on from emails and then building to a Zoom call and building to a campaign because I definitely have been there where I've sent an email and gotten a really disappointing response where they're ignoring what I'm saying, but just really building that fire in me and making me want to continue that conversation. And and that's the thing, like, and you might get that. You might get a form letter. It might feel like they're blowing you off. And you don't have to accept that. You have no obligation to say, like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you easily just write back and say, you know what? Like, I feel a little frustrated. I feel like I'm being dismissed. And I'd really like to talk with you further about this. Can we, you know, schedule a Zoom call? It's okay to assert yourself to let them know that you're not going to just let this go or you're not going to be patronized or you're under no obligation to be treated like shit or have someone talk down to you. Like, I think it's important to to stand up for yourself and your beliefs and be really thoughtful and frame that up in writing, you know, and you can do it in a way that's respectful. And letters to the editor are also a really good one too. People do a Facebook rant or an Instagram rant or whatever that, I mean, fine, but that sometimes just gets echoed in your own silos. And to maybe take some of that energy and put that into a letter to the editor to reach people that aren't in your circles, people who probably are just sitting on the fence that never really thought about an issue either here or there, you know, with coyotes in Stanley Park, with wildlife under threat globally, the climate crisis, like these are all really, really big issues. And it's overwhelming and to the point of even paralysis. You pound that with all these other issues affecting animals, and then you throw in COVID and all kinds of other social justice issues and movements. And it's really hard right now for people who wear their heart on their sleeves and who are change makers. Like everything is competing for your attention and your sympathy. And I think any time that you can express yourself in a way that's meaningful and thoughtful to the right person is really beneficial and it's like the matchmaking like there is an art of matchmaking involved in advocacy of what is your message and who is the decision maker and all this stuff in between that's where we lose time and we get exhausted and burned out because we just spin our wheels in these other spheres but if we focus identifying these decision makers and they all have names and they all have ma- like mailing addresses and again it, it just makes the impact greater Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know how bad the policies currently are or the history of conservation officers in British Columbia. And seeing papers coming out, seeing people, regardless of their eating habits or their personal beliefs, recognizing that animals have feelings and animals are sentient. And I think that when the public has one belief... There's this assumption that policy is evolving with them, but we're not seeing that. Uh, We're seeing a disconnect between our education system and our political system. That is a big piece of this, I think, is there's a really big job. I think academics hold a lot of solutions and a lot of keys to unlocking a new future. The ways in which we've done things for all animals, including wild animals, is sort of frozen in time. These archaic systems, mass production, nonstop killing. We have such a greater understanding of animal sentience, but we need to move now towards changing these systems within the political landscape and the legal framework that supports that political landscape like those two things are kind of connected right and I think those are the walls the biggest walls I think we need to break down and the public sentiment I think is is there and that'll keep growing there's a lot of great solutions there's people who care there's companies that are doing awesome stuff like in terms of offering alternatives there's you know compassionate conservation again is this whole way of looking at wildlife through a different lens rather than you know seeing them as a species compassionate conservation asks us to view them as individuals and it's a really big concept and a bit of a wake-up call as well right when you start viewing animals as individuals it really calls on us to have you know different solutions um because what we do impacts individuals it's not just a species because i think species is just 
it really loses its its meaning um, when you talk about animals as a species or a population, which is even worse, right? The word population, like it's so not personal. We're dealing with individuals and individual lives and all of those lives are, are really important and they're worth the effort and consideration. We need, we need to be thoughtful about that, about the decisions we make as a society and also as a government, how are they connected to animals? And then I think on a larger scale, it's this idea of, of really getting strategic now with you know activism, moving the conversation away from social media circles and you know these these predictable sort of forums, you know where we go back and forth and, and moving that now, putting that into action by targeting people again that wouldn't normally hear our message. Uh, but who could really benefit from that? So those would be, you know, your political representatives, your city councilor, your MLA, of course, you know, even letters to the editor, I think are really great. You know, there's there's so much more I think we could do to help wildlife. And the first thing we can do is to respect them. While it might feel like the right thing to do, feeding wildlife is not a good idea and causes a lot more problems than it solves. And so I also encourage people to contact their local wildlife rehabber. Um, BC's, actually, we have a few really good ones. So in the Lower Mainland, that would be Wildlife Rescue in Burnaby, Critter Care in Langley, Northern Lights, which is in Smithers, BC in the north. And on the island, there's two rehab centers. That would be Wild Ark and Soup. And then also North Island Wildlife Recovery, which is in Arrington, just outside of Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. So lots of wildlife rehab places. And it's a great way to learn more and get involved. I also know I should put a plug actually that Critter Care, they uh, rehab injured mammals. Critter Care is in desperate need of interns right now. Um, COVID has really done a number on their operations. They normally rely on interns um, all over the world. Like they have an international program, but of course, because of COVID, there's a lot of restrictions on travel. And so they could really use some help. Um, the intern program, I think you have to commit, I think it's four weeks. You live on site in Langley and they provide you with food and accommodation. And then in exchange, um, you provide animal care. And so you don't get paid. It's a non, it's a non-paid internship, but you do, of course, the value is obviously, I mean, your help gives animals a second chance in the wild and also just developing some, you know, skill sets and hands-on experience dealing with, with wildlife and um, Critter Care is a great organization. I've been there several times and they're one of the best rehabbers in BC. And so, yeah, if that, if that interests you, I encourage you to get in touch with them. They're, they're a great organization. Yeah. If you go to Critter Care, their application for the internship is open right now and they have um, a great FAQ page to give you more information about that. So I'll link all that information on this week's web post. If anyone's interested in getting involved, um, check out the show notes and that will be there. Thank you so much, Leslie, for coming on the show this week. It it really means a lot to me and you've shared a lot of really helpful information. Yeah, if you ever get correspondence back from your MLA, feel free to email it to me and <laughs> we always love to receive those letters and help help campaigns and strategy as well. So thank you. That concludes my interview with Leslie Fox, director of the Fur Bears, discussing the recent deaths of two coyotes in Stanley Park. Stay tuned. We need help and wellness now more than ever. Solid self-care routines that help us feel grounded. A sense of community. A sense of safety during these uncertain times. Do you need a healing space? A place where you can breathe and move freely? Join us at Karma Teachers, Canada's first nonprofit yoga school and studio. Free and by donation yoga classes offered every day of the week. Join us at Karma Teachers, empowering people through the practice of yoga. We at Animal Voices are calling for your help. We are looking for people who are interested in show production, 
doing some of the backend work for us to help optimize our web posts, and some media mavens who maybe can help us with post-production and advertising our shows. Our only caveat, of course, is that you must be kind to animals. So if you want to help out, if you're interested in radio production or animal advocacy, just shoot us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com. Let's welcome onto the show Miranda Dessa from Last Chance for Animals to speak with us about an ongoing lawsuit regarding five belugas. Here it is. Hi, Miranda. Hi, Grace. Could you tell me a little bit about what Last Chance for Animals is and why you are here today representing them, Miranda? Absolutely. So Last Chance for Animals, it's an international nonprofit organization. Uh, They're headquartered out in Los Angeles, California. And Last Chance for Animals believes that animals are highly sentient creatures who exist for their own reasons, independent of their service to humans. And Last Chance for Animals uses a bunch of different ways to advance the interests of animals. And one of them that I'm here to talk to you about today is a lawsuit that Last Chance for Animals is involved in, where we have joined with Friends of Animals, and it's to challenge a permit issued by the National Marine Fisheries Service to allow the transfer of five beluga whales from marine land in Canada to Mystic Aquarium in Connecticut. So we have joined that lawsuit to challenge the permit because we are looking to stop the transfer of those beluga whales. Could you tell me a bit about Bill S-203 and what that means for this case? Definitely. So, I mean, Bill S-203 is a pretty exciting piece of legislation that came through back in June of 2019. Um, Myself, I work as as Last Chance for Animals, their Canadian council, and I, I worked with Last Chance for Animals a little bit on pushing that legislation through. Um, it's called the Ending Ca- the Captivity of Whales and Dolphins Act, and it protects whales, dolphins, and porpoises, and it makes it a crime to own whales, dolphins, and porpoises kept in captivity, to breed them, to possess or seek their reproductive materials, as well as to use them for performances for entertainment purposes. And it also places bans on taking whales into captivity as well as importing or exporting them. There are a few narrow exceptions for research and situations where whales or dolphins are in distress and need assistance. But it was a pretty groundbreaking piece of legislation here in Canada. I know uh, myself and the other people at Last Chance for Animals, we were celebrating pretty hard when it went through because this legislation is aimed at phasing out the captivity of of whales, dolphins, and porpoises. And it's so incredible to hear you talk about this bill in juxtaposition with my earlier conversation with Leslie Fox, because there just is not that much policy related to these types of protections. Seeing these animals as individuals worthy of their own rights, so seeing those policies get written is so incredible. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'd I'd really like to see much broader, much wider animal protection laws in Canada, which where to start, though. Um, I mean, some of the big things are looking at, you know, the legal identity of animals. Um, And I'd really like to see Canada move away from a system where we treat these animals as property and where we start to ascribe rights to the animals as sentient beings, um, because I think that that's the most important place to start so that the animals have rights inherently, rather than looking at, you know, how does any sort of injury to an animal affect someone, a human's property rights. So I I think there's a lot of places to, we we have a lot of work left to do. um, But I think that would be one of the most critical first steps, as well as, you know, looking at how we define animal cruelty in the criminal code and making it make, making it easier for acts that constitute animal cruelty to be convicted upon and to broad, define more broadly what is animal cruelty. Because, I mean, right now there's a lot of issues about with the way it being defined as cruelty that's unnecessary. Well, you know, I think any cruelty to an animal is unnecessary. Yeah, that is a really interesting observation. We talk a lot about natural states in animal welfare, and I definitely don't think cruelty imposed on animals by humans 
would be considered a natural form of suffering. So then from there, could you tell us a bit about what will be involved in transferring belugas from Canada to Connecticut? So in this case particularly, the potential transfer it's pretty arduous. These whales right now, they're at marine land in Canada. If this transfer is allowed to happen, it would involve moving them all the way to Mystic Aquarium in Connecticut. So just looking at the distance of that, it's about a 10-hour journey if nothing goes wrong. And you think you or I, you know, we're able to walk, we're able to move around. Whales swim and move in water. To move them, they would have to put them into a sort of a shipping container and they would have to do that. They'd have to capture them, hoist them out of their tank with cranes, transport them on transport trucks. They'd then have to wait to board their aircraft to fly to Connecticut. They'd then be unloaded from the plane and then transported by truck again to Mystic Aquarium. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of things along the way that could go wrong. You know, there's a real risk for it to traumatize the whales as well as to potentially be fatal here. Whales aren't meant to fly on airplanes or move in trucks. And when these whales are taken from Canada, what will change as far as the legal rights that they are granted? That's a really good question. Right now, they're protected by the ending the Captivity of Whales and Dolphins Act, which, you know, prohibits all those things we talked about earlier. But if they are moved to Connecticut... There isn't a comparable law there. There are going to be some restrictions for the first five years that these whales are at Mystic because the permit that's been granted right now would prohibit them from being bred for five years. After those five years, it would be open to them to breed the whales. And there's also a real risk of them being used in shows for entertainment. There's a risk of them being displayed for people and you know, this is a transfer from one aquarium to another aquarium. So, you know, they would be carrying on a life in captivity. And there's also the issue, if the whales are bred, we're looking at creating a whole additional generation of whale calves to live out their lives in concrete prisons. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of animals that have lived in captivity their whole life, it's imperative that we take care of them, but also work to end those cycles that have led them to to needing this care. Definitely. I mean, we're getting involved in this case because we believe that whales deserve a lot better. You know, we're dealing with five whales here that were born in captivity. And, you know, they've never known the joy of swimming free in the ocean. And they're limited to a life in captivity where they swim around in their tanks. Uh, But these are incredibly intelligent social creatures. They have strong social bonds to their community where they've lived right now. And pulling them away from that home and severing those bonds would be another challenge for them here. You know, they would be losing their friends, they'd be losing their family. And as a society, we really owe these whales and other whales in captivity more. And it's nice to see laws like, you know, Bill S-203. As a society, we're starting to learn and we're starting to know better. And it's nice to see the laws evolving to keep up the mindset of society as, as we learn that we have to do better. How can people get involved to help push those policies forward? What do you think our listeners can take away from this? Well, it's it's very important for people to become aware of what the issues are and what kinds of things our law needs to adjust to deal with. Um, I mean, in this case at hand right now, we are still waiting for the Canadian government to make a decision. So Last Chance for Animals, we've gotten involved with this lawsuit in Connecticut, but the Canadian government here still has to make a decision about whether or not it's going to issue the permit on the Canadian side to allow this transfer to happen. So, you know, the people, you know, I mean, if people are concerned, if people are worried about this happening, you know, it's important to spread the message about the fact that this transfer is, could be, would be very harmful. You know, it's important to not move these whales out of the protections of Canadian law. And it's important to let Canadian legislators know that, you know, make sure the Canadian government knows this is something that 
people don't agree with, that they don't want Canada to issue the permit. In the lawsuit, we're challenging the U.S. permit to import the whales because both permits are necessary for the transfer to happen. Uh, But on the Canadian side, you know, it's important for the Canadian government to not issue this permit. So, I mean, one thing that we're doing with Last Chance for Animals is we've started a petition to ask that the that the permits not be granted and that this transfer be stopped. So if anyone were interested in signing that petition, they could find it at lcanimal.org. There's one other important element about why this legal challenge is important. And that has to do with the fact that the permit that's been issued in the U.S., it's the first permit that's ever been issued for the import of beluga whales from what's called a depleted stock population for research purposes. So the whales in this case have a special legal status in U.S. law because one or both of their parents come from what is called a depleted stock population that's protected under the U.S. Marine Mammal Protection Act. This act was put in place to protect certain species and populations of marine mammals who are or may be in danger of extinction or depletion as a result of man's activities. This permit that has been issued by the U.S. government, it sets a dangerous precedent because it could allow for other protected marine mammals to be put at risk of being imported for research purposes as well. There are laws in place to try and protect populations Um, You know, and that's one of the big reasons why Last Chance for Animals is getting involved in the U.S. lawsuit is to say, well, wait a second here. You know, these are the things that you should be looking at when you made this decision. Um, um, You know, and and the average Canadian that supported Bill S-203 certainly didn't intend for the bill to mean that, well, we're just not going to exploit the whales for entertainment here in Canada. You know, we're going to send them other places where where they can be made to to, you know, to dance to music or perform to entertain people, because the intention, I think, in passing Bill S-203 was that we want to stop keeping these and these animals in captivity and phase it out. Obviously, they had to consider the fact that, you know, the whales that are in captivity right now. They have to come up with a plan about what to do with them. But, you know, just shipping them off to the United States, you know, that's that's not that's not a good enough solution. Uh, I mean, in our mind, what, what we would like to see is we'd like to see the whales have one final transfer to a sanctuary where they could live out their days free from discomfort, captive breeding and research you know, and give these whales the best quality of life that we can. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I mean, I think it's really important, like you said, to to spread awareness about these kinds of issues, because especially in times like this, where there's so much going on in the media and the news, some of these important cases and things like that, they kind of fall through the cracks. But these kinds of things are, they're things that we need our government to be looking at and focusing on and looking at how are we as a society treating animals and ensuring that we're doing that in a way that we can be proud of as Canadians. Because I think a lot of Canadians feel that because we have good human rights laws, we have good animal protection laws. And uh, I think you you know that that's just not the case. And I, I think a lot of your listeners know that as well. But I think it's important that we help to spread that message so that our laws can become better. And so that we as Canadians can become a country where that other countries can look at and aspire to be like them. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful thought. Canadians really love their wilderness and their wildlife, and I think that we need to support them in meaningful ways and acknowledge their their rights. Thank you so much for being on the show with us today uh, and talking to us about this lawsuit and why we need to keep these belugas in Canada. Amazing. Well, it's really nice to meet you, Grace. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. You have been listening to Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories here in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Turtle Island. Please join us for next week's show on Friday, February 26th 
for an encore show. We will be heading into a four-week break, playing some curated shows for you guys, and take a couple weeks off to work on our production and make sure that everyone on our team is feeling pumped for the rest of 2021 so that we can keep giving you guys amazing content for years to come. We here at Animal Voices do ask you to keep connected with us through the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, so you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. If you join us on Facebook or Instagram, you can find us as Animal Voices Vancouver, but if you want to get in touch over Twitter, we're Animal Voices YVR. If you want to just get in touch and let us know how you're doing or how we're doing, send along a show segment suggestion, you can just send us a note on Facebook or an email to info at animalvoices.org. This week, I will be closing out today's show with the song Can't Fight the Moonlight. So if any of you guys remember from the early 2000s, the movie Coyote Ugly, it was definitely very integral to my childhood. And the movie is based around the song Can't Fight the Moonlight by Leanne Rimes. Since we've been talking about coyotes all day, I've been thinking about Coyote Ugly and thought that this song would be pretty fitting. And maybe a few Leanne Rimes fans are listening right now, so. Stay tuned next for Radio Ecoshock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe inside and remember to be kind to all animals. you